On this week's Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about young people in Ireland and particularly where they get their news from. I'll be joined by Vivian Chambers, Managing Director of Bricolage, to talk about some really exciting and interesting work that they've just undertaken. So, we'll talk about young people in Ireland and where they get news from only on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing. As I said in the intro, I'm delighted to be joined by Vivian Chambers, who's um, founder and MD of Bricolage. Welcome. Welcome, Viv. How are you? Hey, Dave. How's it going? Good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you. You were on before, so obviously um, it wasn't that scarring. Wasn't that, I wasn't that hard on you last time. You're back again with a smile on your face, so it couldn't have been as bad as Rob Kinsa told me it was last time. It was all right, was it? It was brilliant, yeah. It's always good to be... Uh listen to it for a change you know <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what that's like to be honest with you i don't know no one listens to me um we're going to crack on as i said you've done a bit of research which i think is just super interesting so we're going to get into that now in a second but before we do can you just uh tell people listening bricolage what what is your business what do you what type of area are you in and it's in the marketing field but just give us the, the elevator pitches of what it is yeah, so uh, and again, thanks, Dave, for having us on. Uh, Bricolage is a cultural insights agency. Um, a lot of our, the word Bricolage itself comes from anthropology, and it's about using diverse methods to understand a topic. And, and it's particularly immersive, by which you mean you, you get in close to the people that you're engaged with. So we don't tend to do uh, quantitative surveys, uh, nothing against quant surveys. It's just not really what we do. Mm. Uh, we tend to be called in when you want to get, uh, you know, a, a deeper understanding of the topic at hand. And culture is um, a much used word these days, but I think culture is the best definition I can think of is it's what people flock around. It's kind of what they mm. share, what they follow increasingly on social media. Um, so you can find, um, I don't know, British Bake Off is culture, Monster um, Rugby is culture, uh, mm-hmm. and various, you know, Black Lives Matter is mm-hmm. culture, right? There are, there are rituals, there are behaviours, there are practices and channels and so on that you can study and get close to. And it's really, really fertile time in research, I think, in that respect. Yeah, and like we spoke before, and I, I remember because it it's a fascinating business, and you do great work. It's a, like kind of I think I'd said before, like trend watching and stuff, which which was not quite the right term because you do a lot more than that. So we'll get into that in a minute. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today, well, the thing that we're going to talk about today is a bit of research that's come. It's not even hot off the press actually. It's not even off the press yet. So it, this is think of this is like a teaser. So. Just give me some context. What's the research about? What were you hoping to find out about it? And when is it coming out in, in its full form? So um, every year we do a, a project in, in Bricolage called Project Berlin, which is a free pass for the team to explore something that's interesting to them. Uh, last year we did a piece around gaming culture and what was going on kind of during COVID and all that. This year we were really motivated around uh, attitudes to news Um What's going on with with uh, a younger generation, I guess, in relation to news? A lot of myths and stereotypes flying around around this group called Gen Z now. Uh, I remember when I started working in research and strategy, and, and in particular when I was when I was doing some work with advertising agencies 10, 15 years ago, we were talking about, or there was a lot of material flying around around millennials mm. that's very similar to uh, what we see around Gen Z now. And, and, and to be honest, very, very, very similar in terms of some of the stereotypes that are flying around. 
Um, but I think we're informed in particular, there was an article by uh, a journalist, uh, Jonathan Haidt, who, well, he's an academic as well, and he wrote in The Atlantic a piece that's become, I, th- I think it was quite topical, uh, about why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. And he was talking about how the role or the pernicious role that um, social media has played mm. in uh, political and sort of uh, intellectual life in the US. So so all of that stuff was informing us and we wanted to get to the truth because at Bricolage we've worked with quite a few Gen Z. So this sense of uh, being pictured or painted in a certain way uh, was really bothersome. So we decided mm. to go deep in it. And- Look, I know why we do it. We, we we do like to stereotype, well, everything, generations and what. And, and, and usually, like, there's some truths to when you look at a Democrat people born in certain times, going back to whatever, baby boomers or whatever. There's usually some some truth as there, there are commonalities or kind of broadly held cultural beliefs or ways of seeing the world that exist that are common to them that maybe are slightly different to, to generations that came before. Um but one of the reasons that we we like to because it's easy for us so we can say here's and I we do lots I do lots of work where we're talking about Gen Z and um and we we do like to label them because it makes it easier for us to understand what they're doing but what what's your sense of um and we get into news in a second but what is your sense about the, the Gen Z archetype if you will uh, or or is, or is there one um because I kind of on the on the pre-read that I read when we before we chatted I wasn't sure I was kind of it sounded really interesting so what is the archetype if there is one um, well, I think what we found, you know, it's, it's very difficult to come up with a unified Gen Z archetype if you spend time with them using ethnographic research, by which I mean, you know, using tools and methods to spend days with a participant rather than just an hour and a half or an hour long interview. Um, if you're really immersing in their social media feeds, talking to them directly about what they're experiencing and so on, and then you 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 map that up to everyone else you're talking to. It, it's very hard to kind of go, okay, there's just one typology here. Gen Z are, I don't know, uh, woke or here to save the world, mm. or you know, they think TV is dead, which is which is far from the case. Um, so so, uh, you know, going back to the piece about trend reports and millennials, what I was struck by back in the day was broad, glib brushstrokes about a generation of people I was living and working with a lot of the time and going, mm-hmm. God, is this is this really true? Uh, and I think there's a lot of that going on now. Um, there's a brilliant book by uh, an academic, Bobby Duffy, called The Generation Myth. And he talks about three effects that are really important when you look at generations. One is period effects, right? And as you rightly said, we live in a moment in time where certain things are more prevalent than others, right? So if you're sort of of a generation right now, Harry Styles matters more to you than it did 10 years ago, right? You know, it just makes sense. There were period effects. Um, there are life cycle effects, which are about the life stage that young people tend to go through. Every generation has that. And young people tend to behave in a different way due to their life cycle and life stage than, than other people do. Funny enough, we do quite a bit of work in the US. And one big life cycle effect that has happened over time gradually is that, uh, you know, when I was in college, you know, a, a long time ago, I used to hang out with people from the US and they, some of them were married, you know, when I was in college. Uh, that's less of the case now, particularly on on the, um, you know, the, the the sort of metropolitan areas. Right. So there are changes in the sort of age demographic and life cycle effects of when people get married in the US. And we're even we're even later in Ireland. And then finally, there are cohort effects, which is about, again, this sort of picture of a moment in time, what we're into and what we're not into. Mm. And the problem is with generational thinking is. We tend to talk about a cohort effect a lot of the time, but we forget the period effects and the life cycle effects and we overshoot the runway. Mm. And that makes 
makes total sense. Um, it sounds like a great book. I will, I will check it out. And one, of, I, I, so okay, I'll, like, I'll stereotype yeah, and generalize now if you want for a minute. I, I, so one of the things, and and I probably am as I was kind of guilty of, of just just kind of labeling things as as anyone else. So. Like we do know that social media is huge for this group, right? Um, it's it's huge for lots of people, but but the amount of time they spend online and social media is huge, and we we all know the problems that exist with with um, the spread of fake news. So the first question I have is when it comes to younger people, because maybe they're perceived as being um, you know not that rigorous, and because because we say oh they're not into traditional media and journalism, and we we say that glibly. So how rigorous are they in terms of? fact checking do do they bother to check any facts or do they do they simply take what's comes in in their feed as read and is that being the gospel um well your your observation is correct i mean they are the first you know if you if you focus on gen z and you define that cohort from anything between i don't know 13 and 26 right now um they're the first generation that are not just digitally native or digital native they are uh, you know, they've participated in the social internet in particular, right? So that sort of wave of the internet that's been defined by the rise of social media. And most of this generation that you talk to are defined more by Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, for example, than as my generation would have been Facebook, right? Um, so so that's the first thing to get, get, get over the line. And when we did our media diaries with this, we had 40 participants in the study uh, as our direct core sample, right? It was a multimedia study that we did. And what we did is we, we got involved in their social feeds and we got them to share their diaries. And we were tracking three to seven hours of, of social media activity a day, right? right? And it's interesting because with this new social, it's not them necessarily harvesting likes or, you know, trying to impress people or project their ideal image onto the world, right? A lot of it is, this is where their content is coming from. So a previous generation might've been, I don't know, uh, doing searches on the web, watching TV, listening to radio. I mean, <laughs> one of the one of the guys uh, said uh, when, when we were asking him, you know, I, I got to speak to him, but uh, do you listen to the radio? Do you watch TV? And he goes, well, I mean, when I'm, when I'm with my parents, like, and they really insist on it, you know, right. uh, everything, all of his media goes through social. So social is a more all-encompassing channel now than it was. And right. like I said, there seems to be a shift there that's important around it's not about, um, I guess, look at me culture as much. Um, there are more inner circle, small groups that, you know, you, you'll see this on, on Instagram now. You're less likely to get into someone's feed as you were in the past to find out who they are unless they really want to project a look at me culture. Right. Generally speaking, they have an inner circle. Their stories address their inner circle. They have communities of interest. Uh, it's not open for all. And they're much more um, quality controlled about that than, than in the past. Right, yeah. Um, and again, it makes it. You wrote an article, I forgot to say at the start, you wrote an article and it's in today's Irish Times. It's a brilliant article. Now, it's only scratching the surface, really. Um, but I found it, I can't wait to to get more information on the report. But you use the term in that article, which is um, their news consumption tends to be tends to be prismatic. So I know what a prismatic was in my old advertising days. It was a, it was a poster that changed between three different advertisers. But what did you mean by their news being prismatic? What Explain that to me. So, so I'll come back to that because you did ask me in the previous question, sorry, about fact-checking, right? And yeah. what we noticed with this audience was they've been brought up in a period of profound change and turmoil, right? It upsets them that uh, fake news and negative social actors are telling the story about their world. And they're very keen to 
not be part of the problem as much as in the past. So they're very adept at social media. They're, they're, they've, they've sussed out that previous generations maybe weren't as clued in to what the algorithm and the and, and the big um, uh, social media companies were about. Now, uh, you know, they're into it. They pay attention to it more. And we heard a lot more. Now, it's an emerging culture, right? This isn't all of Gen Z, right? We're talking to a, a, a cohort here that are interested in news. So already there's a bias there. Mm-hmm. But for those that are interested in news, I found it very encouraging. And we found it very encouraging that they were talking about fact-checking, cross-referencing. They're interested in services like BBC Verify. Um, they were looking. Um, lateral reading was a phrase that several of them shared, which made us think we'd love to quantify this. Is there something in this? Where they're looking at different sources going into the comments section under an article or a piece and going, you know, how true is this? How real is this? So that was very, very encouraging, you know. Mm. Uh, but going back to the point about prismatic, what mm. we mean by that is, though, however, okay, is that they are um, uh, encountering news more. It comes to them through the algorithm rather than something that they deliberately seek out all of the time. And they're pretty happy enough with their feeds in that respect. They know themselves that, by the way, the algorithm serves up. If, you, if you're interested in one article about Arsenal Football Club, it'll serve up 10. So they're mm-hmm. conscious of that. They're alert to that. And they try and, and, and uh, encompass other feeds or, uh, or to look at other sources as they go. Um, the most adept of the participants we spoke to, we called fact checkers. And fact checkers would have had um, or maintained, you know, um, the, the traditional uh, news brands as apps on their phones so that they would go deeper on a topic or cross-reference or check something that was said about, I don't know, uh, the housing crisis of Ukraine or Black Lives Matter or whatever, just to make sure that they felt Okay, is this real or what? And I think it, that was for us very encouraging. Um, right. So is that is that lateral yeah. reading when they see something on social, but they go off tangentially onto a trusted source and do a bit of that? Is that what is that what lateral yeah. reading means? Yeah, they're not they're not taking things as face value as the stereotype would suggest. And I, I found mm. that again very encouraging from a sort of a from a you know our citizenship and our republic you know a uh, uh, point of view you know um it, it's really important that that for a republic to function that people are able to have cool heads take a step back have mm. considered debate and in many respects these this younger generation have seen the conflagrations on social media they've seen the um the fire hose of falsehoods as it were mm. uh that, that get uh, that have led to some of the crises and particularly in the united states and the uk and they're kind of keen to go you know what i'd like to cool things down here slow things down right yes. which is again expected of this generation and really form my own opinion in, in the right way and i think that's super encouraging yeah the- it is yeah again one of the one of the when, when you think about it, it's it's thrown around and it's one of the stereotypes of of this this group of people is that they, they they're attention deficient um that you know the, the too long didn't read generation so are they but do they and it sounds like they do but are, are they going deep into real news are they reading proper journalism um or is it kind of just give me the headline so even though they might go into bbc are they put off by like you know five thousand word articles or is it bullet points and headlines or, or how how are they consuming real real news and journalism um, you know, with respect, I think that the idea that they're a TLDR, 
attention deficit generation. Jesus, they should look at me most days or, of the week. Or me, yeah, true. You know, or, you know I, th- I think I think we've, we're all impacted by um, the, the the rise of social, the, the the rise of the smartphone in our lives. Um, I guess what we were encouraged by again is that they do want to go deep sometimes, um, and they definitely do. Uh, and they definitely want to on, on on key issues. I do think, though, in on general, they are they are more adept at surfing the social stream or their feeds, as they call them. And those feeds come in on a daily basis, and they're well able to surf and scan through those and go deep if they wish. But the idea that they do not go deep is is frankly a mythology. Right. Okay. Yeah. No. That, and that's that's good to know. And and um, yeah, it's great because it's, it's fairly the stereotypes paint a fairly depressing picture of of the next generation of people so and it's like anything else it's probably you know they're handed those stereotypes are handed down by the older generations who you know just it's we, sometimes they don't get young people or they don't understand social media or what they're doing but when you think about um so we, we you know that they go on to like bbc how do they feel about about the more traditional news brands so like what i mean by that is some of them might be going off to to go into the app. I, I guess not many of them are. So do they, are they more open to receiving news from trusted news brands on their platforms? So what I mean is they might pay attention to BBC or the Irish Times on the platforms that they consider Instagram or TikTok. Is, is that their preferred way of engaging with more traditional brands? It's kind of engaging with them on their terms and on their platforms. Um, okay, so, so, so first off, first off, right, this study is with Gen Z who are interested in news, right? Yeah. What we find, in, and, and when we do studies in bricolage, sometimes we feel the future uh, may not exist yet, but it's it's because it's not distributed well, right? Yeah. There are people that are ahead of the curve. So what we found very interesting was a cohort of Gen Z that are not only interested in news, but deeply interested in the news because they are concerned about the world that they live in. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean they're all going to change the world or turn the world around, what, what they know is that there are pr- mistakes have been made around this sort of uh, fire hose of falsehoods that social media has been deeply a part of, and they're very suspicious of that. So I think that's very encouraging. Um, I, you know, how do they feel about traditional news brands is, um, first of all, we weren't necessarily expecting them to appear on the radar, but they were quite prominent in the study, particularly where we uh, engaged with questions around misinformation and tr- most trusted sources. So... To be honest with you, RTE, Irish Times, BBC, um, the journal even comes across. They call them traditional or serious news sources. They definitely go to them when they need, when there's a crisis or when they need the truth, they go to those. Um, but there are barriers that these brands uh, face, right? Mm. The number one, here, which is quite interesting, is for a younger uh, audience, there seem to be, uh, like as one guy called them, state news, which I thought was a, a mad phrase when you think, I don't think of um, these media sources as state news, uh, but official state news, establishment news, again, that can be really important, but it cuts out maybe grassroots movements or other voices that that they're interested in. And that's why socialists seem to be actually uh, an open space from a democratic point of view. Um, the other problems, I think, is uh, 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 th- th- this media tends to be primarily long form, right? Uh, repetitious seem to be quite repetitious, often boring. And what they mean by repetitious is the same political argument or the same political problem being talked about over and over and over again and not moving forward. And then finally, uh, traditional social media is not seen, sorry, traditional 
media brands, news brands are not seen to be as good on social, even though we knew that they're making improving moves there. Some of them were aware of them being quite good. And for example, Sky News is quite good on TikTok, for example. Um, uh, a lot of the brands are moving into this space. We were quite surprised in our desk research to find that RT were quite interesting in Instagram. But it, I think what's from a brand perspective, that's not part of the brand mental model yet for RT really. Mm. And it's something that's evolving. Um, we were speculating in how is, uh, you know, was there some breakout group of young ones in RTE leading the charge and bringing that to the table? Because it's, mm. it's, it's well, well delivered. But, you know, um, as respected to these traditional news brands are some emerging challenger brands in this space. Like um, there's there's a great one, an independent journalist, uh, News by Hill. Uh, another one, Now This News. I mean, there's a whole plethora of them, uh, Dave. And, and, and to be honest, I think we'll, we'll, we'll share most, most of those in the report when we do it. But these are um, ways for you to scan what you view as a trusted journalistic source, get the overview on, on, in a feed terms, and then go deep if you wish. Mm. So it's a great way to shop and then go deep if you wish. Yeah. Um, no, and you're right to point out, by definition, you selected a group that are interested in the news. So it's, it's going to be slightly not representative of everybody, um, but it is. It's encouraging. I, I agree with you. Um, did podcasts show up? Because, again, you, you kind of think of... Um, just, I mean, I know myself, I find it easier to digest stuff in, in podcast form because I can do it while I'm driving or cycling into work or whatever. Are podcasts important for them as a particularly sense of news or is it more for entertainment? Did that, did your re, um, so, research so, show so that up? As the article sets out, a, a very basic distinction is, is, is made between serious news uh, or their news and uh, light news, or, or as one person one one person called it, Kim Kardashian news. Right. Now, you and I both participate in both modes. When I want to go deep on something, I love the New York Times um, uh, daily podcast on global issues or whatever. And if I'm out for a walk or a run or something, I can pop that on or driving somewhere. And they're no different, right? They're not alien species, mm. right? So there are uh, uh, topics that they want to go deep on, but they're also interested in wellness podcasts. They're interested in sports podcasts. You know, I, I'm into the Guardian football podcast. So are they, you know, mm. uh, if they're into football, uh, you know, uh, that light news, that sort of light coverage of the Champions League. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so from a current affairs perspective, it's probably harder to cut through with them. Um, and again, in the study, we'll share some examples of um, pioneers, I guess, of these more um, insurgent media brands, I guess, independent media brands that speak more to Gen Z directly. Um, and, and and again, you'll see that in the podcast space as well. Mm. So I would say podcasts are actually, you know, Spotify was very prominent as one of their primary news channels, for example. Right. Definitely. Uh, and you mentioned social media, you mentioned one of the, the, the benefits of it, it seems like it's more um, open and more inclusive and not not state news, if you will. Um, are they, and, and are they aware of the fact that, like by, as you, you said earlier on, that if they, they, they're clued in that they know that if they watch and uh, read an article about Arsenal, they'll be served 10 more. But are, are they aware of the bias, that the, the bubble that exists in terms of what they consume, in terms of news? So if, if, they, if, they, if they show an interest or read an article about one certain thing and they tend to kind of engage with that and it reinforces what they believe, they're going to be served more content that reinforces that belief. Because it's not quite the open. If you look at what the algorithm does when it works well, it isn't quite the balanced, the, the, the democratic balanced both sides of the coin. You tend to get the things that you've self-identified as being interested in. And are they kind of clued in with that? And do they, you know, are, do they know what's going on that, that what they, what they read or share is just going to be, it just 
you know, reinforced by everything that they get served? How clued in are they with that and how the algorithm works? They're so clued in because they've lived with, again, the social participatory internet all their lives. They know what, and they felt it quite personally and quite acutely, what uh, to be distorted or misrepresented on social looks like. So they're very, very tuned into that. They all share examples of fake news stories that popped up in their feeds that they looked into. Um, you know, uh, a funny one about, uh, well, not funny, you know, a sinister one about Justin Trudeau secretly shipping, uh, you know, uh, secrets to the Chinese or whatever. Um, or um, one example that was really great was talking about a girl who uh, would have been impacted or hurt by the Boston bombing, but actually never was there. You know, so, right. so that they, tell us, they tell us these stories of you know, uh, cautionary tales, as it were, but also personal stories or personal cautionary tales of distortions on social and the way they, as a generation, fact check and, and sense check each other. Um, I, I, it, it opened my eyes a bit because I felt a bit naive at times as a Gen Xer. I think sometimes we we've you know sleepwalk into the social world and make mistakes there that they would they would not make. Mm. Um, and I think that's 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 um, that's really interesting for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, now, the article, it points to the fact that, that what they said, and you kind of touched on it earlier, that a lot a lot of the, let's call it the mainstream media, is very, it's, well, it's repetitive, but it's negative and it's pessimistic. You know as well as I do, because um, you've been around long enough, good news doesn't sell newspapers, right? There's nothing like bad news to to capture people's attention. We even saw, the, the, you know, how the nation was glued to the, the nine o'clock news at the start of COVID and, and the, the impact that you saw, with the, you know, just body bags, people being and it just it, it, it's not great when there's good news stories it just doesn't we're not that interested in it but this group particularly from your study they they, they really cry out for it. they want more good news um, and even you know some a different type of reporting shall we say so you, you call it in, in your article you call it as more citizen type talk to me a little bit about that well I, I think there's, there's two strands to this one is um, um, they've just they really need positive content because uh, a period effect going back to generational news and so on. I'm deeply conscious as somebody who, you know, came of age in my career in the early 2000s and so on, that up to the financial crash, we were plain sailing, our period effect. We didn't even realize how plain sailing we had it. And it's much more challenging now. And I think the, the global narrative is much more challenging on so many fronts. So the need for positive news is a period effect. It's not a cohort effect. We all need positive news more. Um, I think what was interesting in in, in, in the study were examples like um, looking for uplift, inspiration, ways forward a bit more than maybe previous generations have. And a, a really good example is the Solutions Story Tracker, which is an mm. aggregate of positive stories around, again, solutions and how we can get out of our impasse. I think that was, um, again, curated feeds that allow you to find the good news in your right. day. Yeah, um, yeah. We're all familiar with that sort of behavior now of I'm not going to listen to the news. I'm going to turn it off because I can't start my week that way or my day that way. And they're, they're um, not immune to that. Mm. Um, so I would say to the traditional media brands, um, you have to work out ways to insert good news into their feeds and, and, and to make good news sell because I think it's, it's, you're gonna, we're going to lose them otherwise. And, and then I guess the other piece that's going on is uh, when you're – life experience has been mediated through through the social internet 
uh, and your expertise is in telling stories and sharing stories and curating stories and making videos. And we find, by the way, in research, God, what a rich generation to work with in terms of multimedia mm. research. Methods. They share so much amazing content with us. It's changing how we do our work and how we how we share um, our material. So, so they are very, very interested in uh, on the ground, participatory citizen journalists, particularly uh, of a generation that they feel are on the same page. Uh, so there have been some great examples in the last year from Ukraine, where you've got um, you know, uh, people on the ground, very, very young, sharing on their social feeds daily, up-to-date material, right? Now, one thing that did come through was, even though this is incredibly authentic and engaging, there has to be a major fact check going on, right? Because mm. it can be ideological or it can be distorted. And they're aware of that. Um, uh, 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 certainly in, in sort of our sample, there's a lot of awareness of that but they're fascinated by people that are embedded on the ground sharing their version of what's happening live. Yeah, which again makes total sense. And and kind of, yeah, so move, when I think about that and move on, so you, you mentioned their view of, uh, you know, what call it whatever you want, like state media or traditional media or, or all those type of things. And all you got to do is turn on RTE or or just look at the, the, the photos of the, the, the writers and some of the news from the Irish Times, for argument's sake. Is there a sense that, like, because like this came up before about um, how the government doesn't re reflect, or you know, it's not quite teenagers in their oh, my parents don't understand me, but there genuinely is a sense that that they that uh, on a different topic I looked at, um, they feel a bit lost, and and they feel that that it's not that they don't get them, but there's nobody like them in government, which there isn't. Government is predominantly um, fifty plus male white it doesn't reflect modern ireland do they, do, is that what we see in journalism as well in the sense that um the people that they might see in rte just don't they don't it doesn't resonate with them because they don't look like them and if they don't look like them they they think it's not for me and so it's it's a twofold question is that kind of what you talked about with rte should news brands start to kind of put a strand of activity into more citizen type journalism and, and reflecting modern Ireland with people with, with fact checking and all quality control that goes with that but just to engage these people to start to create news for them by them if you will because if, if no one looks like you you turn on the news and RTE and it's like 60 odd year old 70 year old people mm. who are there until they retire I mean that's not going to that's not going to connect with them so is, do you think that'd be interesting for, for news brands to to consider getting involved in and should they try it do you think um well there's, there's two sides to that like like one thing we found and, and i think this has been reflected in, in other gen z studies from abroad that we that we actually respect like i mean channel 4 did a really good piece uh, of work that was more broadly it wasn't about just the news it was about life in general in the uk and they found and we found something similar here that this idea that, you know, Gen Z or uh, there's this intergenerational conflict going on with what, what are called boomers, um, you know, uh, you know the, 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 the generation that came of age in the 60s and 70s, for example, um, that it wasn't as simple as that because they had huge, they had icons from the period that they loved, uh, you know, or, or the, you know, they have relatives that they look up to and respect that are grandparents and whatever of that generation. So it wasn't as simple uh, in the UK that there was a sort of an anti-boomer the narrative is there for sure, but they themselves are going, yeah, but there's loads of boomers that I love and respect and I look up to. Mm. And I think the same could apply to these traditional brand journalists. Um, look, I have a huge amount of time for uh, uh, Pat Kenny on News Talk. I can't get over 
what he covers in three hours every day uh, mm. on his show. I don't know how he manages it. And I think he's he's in his in his 70s, right? Mm. Uh, I don't lose respect for him because of his age. I'm more interested in uh, the authority and diligence he brings to the role. So I think they will view it uh, uh, in that sense. They will be able to discern quality over, over age a lot of the time. But there's no getting away from the fact that if you look at the political world and the establishment, it's dominated by an older generation and, and often an older male generation. Mm. And it's, 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 I mean, when you're looking at a, a U.S. election that's going to be possibly won by one or other octogenarians, it's, it's, it's very disturbing, yeah. I think, for our, for our democracy, particularly where you see um, uh, uh, such a share of, of the, um, uh, the, the census profile, the census is younger, right? Mm. Getting older, younger overall uh, in Ireland and even in the U.S., uh, the fastest growing groups are often diverse. And to see that they're not represented, it does create a them and us mentality more and more. And um, their, their social feeds follow their interests. And if their interests aren't, aren't reflected by that boomer um, uh, profile in, in media, then that is going to be a, a serious issue, I think. Look, uh, maybe to declare a, you know, a point of view, I really think it's important for democracy that we have more slow, um, deliberative uh, uh you know, consensus-driven conversation and that we have quality over quantity as much as possible and we encourage its consumption as much as possible. Mm. So part there's definitely for us a view in Bricolage that traditional news brands have to adapt and change like every other brand we work with does. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. So based on everything that you've done in your research, give me some quick wins, some top tips that you would advise on how they should engage this audience. Well, the first thing, and you know this better than anyone, right? Uh, brands that chase the youth vote often make the mistake of being, you know, like that embarrassing uncle at the disco. Mm. So don't try to be all Gen Z. Like like we were talking about earlier, if you have well-respected, uh, important figures in your in your media team, in your journalist team, who are ace at their game, and, and there's so many of them in, in the Irish Times in particular, then it's it's about packaging them or giving them uh, a, a more native feel, um, uh, sorry, feel on, on social. So, mm-hmm. so that would be the first thing I say, don't try and be something you're not, right? Be Your values are really important. The, the editorial controls and the adherence to rigor is massively important to this generation. So I, I would definitely be framing um, my brand around that. And I, I really love, by the way, the way the New York Times has has talked about that how important truth is and truth isn't free and truth comes at a cost. So, mm. so, so the New York Times are real leaders on this one. Um, I, I would definitely review the paywall and how we can make it um, more uh, permeable for a younger audience that we can get them on board. And most brands that engage with youth, like, like we do a lot of work in the telco space and a lot of the the big um, you know mobile phone providers will have a youth brand that has really low barriers of entry. Uh, you know, is geared towards certain um, um, uh, means of use and, and 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 access and so on. You mightn't get a handset upgrade, for example, but you'll get unlimited data yeah. from the get. You know, it'll cost you ten euro. So so it'd be foolhardy not to have a strategy like that. Um, you know, a bit like them too. I think native citizen journalist content, obviously that has that imprimatur of a brand like the Irish Times would be huge. Uh, you've got to master Instagram. I've been kind of stunned by Instagram has morphed into more of a content channel than a look at me can- channel. Right. And it's been 
more important to them as the, uh, there are lots of independent um, uh, um, uh, providers on there producing amazing content. I've signed up to a few of them. Like I said, News by Hill is one of the Irish ones and uh, she's great and I love her her take on the news. She tries to open up uh, informed opinions and debate. It's it's never really slanted one or the other. Mm. Other trained journalist, ex CNN, and so on. So I definitely would check check someone like that and, and go. Well, should we work with her, yeah. or can we do something similar? And um, yeah, I, I I would I would think about maybe all of those things. I mean, yeah. there's loads of things, uh, 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 Dave. But that that's that's some of the things that jump into my mind no, right now. No, that's great. That's yeah, loads of loads of great stuff because it's really it's a really interesting topic. Go on, sorry, you were gonna. No, I think I think it's like this important again just to re- revisit that message. Rigor and editorial control and truth matters to this generation. Yeah. It's total BS that they're just distracted, um, skewed to one view or the other. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, like uh, slavishly following the tribe or the herd on social. That is not what we're seeing in this study. Well, that's encouraging. That is very encouraging. Um, so before I let you go. When is it coming out? Um, so when do you expect the full details to be released? The full survey? So, and where can people find it? Is it going to be, is it going to be behind a pay? I presume it's not behind a paywall now after everything you've just been talking about for the last 40 minutes. Yeah. It'll be free it, for everybody, will it? It's totally free, yeah. Because to be honest with you, we feel it's too important a topic and it's a topic that as we go into the election cycle in the next, the next year or so, that it's going to become more and more important mm-hmm. for us to reflect on. I, I, I think there have been a few uh, independent surveys done. Reuters did one in Ireland was reflected, for example. And you can see that Irish Gen Zs are more into serious content, actually, than Gen Zs in other countries. And I think maybe there's a sense of, there's a greater sense of community and solidarity in Ireland that we need to be protective of. So so absolutely, it'll be free, oh, yeah. right? It's yeah. um, We're going to publish it in July as we've done in our previous one on gaming, it'll be available on our LinkedIn, on um, bricolage.ie, our website, um, and probably other social channels. Um, to be honest, Instagram is obviously so important that we'll yeah. definitely have it up there and we'll release snippets of it. And yeah. it features obviously in this article that's going into the Irish Times as well. Cool. Well, I'll give it a shout out and, and myself and Rob will um, kind of share it amongst people. So it's great. And Viv, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you because... Uh, you you just I always I always feel enlightened after I talk to you your 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 craft your care to what you do and your commitment is a brilliant article today as I said so I look I look forward to reading it and I know when we were chatting before about what would we do the 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 podcast on I and mean, you threw out about three or four topics and I thought they were all great I want to do them all so um, I will have you back on again if you are willing to come on again I'll leave you alone for the rest of the year but next year if you want to come back on I'd love to have you back on because you're a joy to talk to so. Best of luck um, with the research, first of all, and just with your business. Generally, keep up the good work. And right back at you, Dave. The podcast is fantastic. Keep it up, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Viv. Thanks. And thanks to you for listening. If you liked that episode, why not listen back to our ever-growing back catalogue? You'll find it by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. Thanks to Andrea in Sound, Kira in Marketing, and as always, thanks to our partners in Irish Times Media Solution who make all this happen. Until next time, keep your eye out for Viv's report. It's landing about two two or three weeks from, from when you listen to this. So stay safe. Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.